This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Take yourself to dinner, take yourself on a camping trip for the weekend, take yourself on a hike, like go be by yourself. Like so often we are not alone in this world, even if we're not with a person, we're on Netflix and scrolling TikTok and, you know, on social media. And it doesn't give us time to even get to know who we've become and really get to know ourselves. And how are you going to heal if you don't know yourself? Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. Today, I have such an incredible woman on the podcast, Miss Gabrielle Stone. I am so excited to have her on. She is incredible. Her story kind of blew up on TikTok. And since then, she has been very well known for her relationships and her love story and her resilience and how she's gotten pretty much screwed over so many times. And she has just come out on top through it all and she takes you through her breakup journey, her eat, pray, love journey, kind of how she found her current partner today. And her story is just honestly like it's a movie. It really is. It's like one of those teenage dramas that we watched when we were younger. It's that except it's truly her life. So I was very excited to talk to Gabrielle about it on the podcast. But Before we dive into the episode today, I don't really do super long intros anymore because I have my solo episodes to fill you in, but I don't have a solo episode coming out for like two weeks, so I wanted to fill you in. You guys, I got back from Atlanta this weekend. I just saw Taylor Swift live, the Eras tour. When I tell you, I need to do a whole episode on why I'm a Swifty, and it'll probably be an hour long. I am obsessed with her. I think she deserves all the fame. People say she's overrated. No, 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 no. No. If anything, I mean, saying she's underrated is a bit of a stretch because she is super famous and super successful, but she deserves that. And I think that when people dislike, like have a strong dislike, like you don't need to like her music. You don't need to like her. Like I'm not saying that you need to like her, but when people like hate her, like when people are like, oh, I hate Taylor Swift or like, she's not talented or why do people like Taylor Swift? I think it's deeply rooted in misogyny. I can do a whole episode on that, but I think it's just because a lot of women like her that then people are like, oh yeah, I hate her. I always compare it to like when girls like something, it's considered basic. But when guys like something, it's just like, oh yeah, guys just like that thing. Yeah, it's awesome. And I'm going to compare Taylor Swift right now to Tom Brady because it's the best analogy I could use. When people don't like Taylor Swift, they like hate her. It's like, oh my God, I hate her. She's not even good, blah, blah, blah. Just because you don't listen to that type of music doesn't mean she's not good. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say she's the best singer, but her songs are so good because of her lyrics and because she has so many albums. She is constantly giving us 
albums with amazing relatable songs on there whether or not you listen to it or not like you don't have to like it to acknowledge that that is incredible for an artist to do to put out that much new music with that many people relating to your music and then she goes on tour she's doing 52 shows I think I think she's saying 44 songs she sang for three hours nonstop. Three hours nonstop. She sang, she danced, she put on a performance. The set was incredible. The set changed so many times. It was a full production. Because stadium tours, I usually don't like them because I like more like intimate concerts. No, this was the best night of my life. It was so incredible. I don't even want to do an intro on this because I could literally talk about this for like 20 minutes. But it's truly, 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 truly incredible. It was such a show. She had like, I think she changed over 10 times. And let me tell you guys, I went to Harry Styles last year. I went to his, what's it called? The Love on Tour tour. It was good. Don't get me wrong. I had fun. I like Harry Styles and he's very talented as well. I'm not going to like knock his talent, but I was at Wembley Stadium in England, um, right outside of London. I went to Wembley Stadium to his concert. So it was another stadium concert. This man had one outfit, never changed, just kind of ran around the stage singing and had no change in production. Like he just kind of sat on stage, ran around and sang, which fine. I like his music. That's cool. But unless you were in the front row and he was like interacting with you on the floor, it wasn't that great. Please don't come after me, Harry fans. I'm not saying he's not talented. I really do like Harry Styles. But when you compare the two, it's like not even a comparison. They're not even in the same ballpark. Like this was a full on production and it was just so incredible. And so now back to my Tom Brady analogy, Tom Brady, guys obsess over him. Like I know so many men that are literally in love with Tom Brady and God forbid you say anything about him. And they're like, no, but he's the goat. He's the goat. He's the best. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, I don't like football. So does that give me the right to be like, F Tom Brady, he sucks. Anyone who likes him sucks. Or anyone who likes Tom Brady is so basic. Like no one says that. No one says that because you just acknowledge whether or not I like football, whether or not I think he's good at football, like you can't deny it. He has his stats. He has his records. He has his rings to show for it. You can't deny Taylor Swift. She has all of these shows that she sold out. She has hit after hit. She has this many albums. Like let's call it what it is. So... In efforts to keep this intro shorter, I'm going to leave it at that. But yeah, that was the best night of my life. And I'm trying to go to another Eras Tour show because that was incredible. I got these tickets at the pre-sale, so I didn't overpay for them. Um, I think I paid like $200, $300 for them. And we had like lower level seats. Like it was incredible. I know if I try to go to an, any other show, it's going to be like $1,000 for nosebleeds, which I'm not going to do. But it's tempting because it was truly the best night of my life. And I am the biggest Swifty. And like, I don't know. It's just, it was so, 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 so good. So let me know if you want me to do a whole episode. <laughs> Some of you are probably like, please no. Like what? But I listened to Kelsey Kreppel's podcast, Circle Time. And she did a whole episode about being a Swifty. And it wasn't like the whole episode, but that was the title of the episode. And so I kind of want to do something like that. Just like a chatty episode if you guys want to hear that. So let me know. Please DM me after this. I need to know if you guys think the same thing. But my thesis is that people that actually have like a disdain and a hate for Taylor Swift, it's just deep rooted in misogyny. And that's just that's just what it is. So I could write an entire thesis on this. And I think someone that is currently still in school should. 
because there's so many more examples I could give you. There's so many more. You know what? I think I'm going to do a podcast episode on why being basic is sexist or is like misogynistic because the Taylor Swift is like the best example, but there's literally a million other examples that I could choose. And it's something I feel very, very, very strongly about. So if you guys want me to do a deep dive on that, I would love to. It's a little different than like the episodes I usually do, but who cares? This is my podcast. We can do what we want. So anyways, this was a little longer of an intro. I just had to get that off my chest, but I need you guys to DM me if you actually want to hear that episode, because if no one does, then I'm not going to record it. So please DM me that you want to hear it. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to my rant. If you guys do enjoy this episode or you guys have enjoyed any previous episodes of mine, please be sure to give it five stars on Apple and Spotify. Leave me a review, post this, screenshot it, post it on your story. And without further ado, let's welcome Gabrielle Stone to the podcast. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today, as it should, with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tip are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Eras tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream, it is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 
350 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Hi, Gabrielle. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Oh my God. Thanks for having me, girl. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited. We just recorded on her podcast, FML Talk. So very excited that we're now switching over and I get to ask you the questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to kick it off because you have a very untraditional upbringing, I feel like. You grew up with parents that were in the entertainment industry. And I want to ask, growing up in that light or, you know, in that industry, and you're still in LA now, what was that like growing up with parents that were well known? Or I know your mom was in ET and all of these cool movies. What was that like growing up as a kid? It was actually oddly normal. I mean, yes, like I grew up on set with my parents and I got to like see a lot of behind the scenes and travel to a lot of amazing places. But both of my parents were very determined to give me like a normal upbringing that was like not Hollywood. My mom is from Kansas. My dad was originally from New Hampshire. So they were more like small town, you know, vibes. And when they both were in the industry, they were like, okay, you know, if we're bringing a child into the world, if one of us is working, the other one's not going to take a job, which is really difficult to do in an industry where it's like you got to kind of take it as they come because they're few and far between. And like once your career's on the up and up, you got to like keep the momentum. But I always had someone at my dance recitals, at my soccer games. My mom was usually there to tuck me in and put me to bed. So it was really normal apart from the fact that they were both movie stars in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you were growing up, did you realize that though? Were you growing up around other kids whose parents were also in the industry or was it something that you knew was a little unique? No, I mean, I knew that mom and dad, you know, had this job, but no, I wasn't growing up with other kids that were in the industry. And I did recognize that I got to go to a lot of cool places and do some cool things. I think when I got a little bit older, it kind of made sense that, oh, my mom's the mom in ET because that was like the big one that everybody always freaked out about. And if she ever had people like come up to her on the street, it was usually because of that. So I think I started to put that together a little early on, but I didn't realize like what a incredible iconic actress she was. Yeah. And did you feel pressure to go in her footsteps and to do that? No, my mom was always like, look, do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy, try everything. She's like, as long as you're not going to be a stripper, like, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, played soccer growing up, I danced, did gymnastics, like I kind of did everything to see what I wanted to do. I think I always said, oh, I'll be an actress one day, like mom when I grow up but I didn't really fall in love with it until I did my first film when I was 18. And then I was like, Oh, I get it. Okay, this is actually what I want to (laughs) do. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's something that is so special when your parents aren't pressuring you to go into any field, like you actually get to realize that you like it on your own. Like, obviously, they probably influenced you, but you actually are enjoying it. And you don't have people like pushing you in that direction. 
Well, and it's also not an easy industry. It's not like, oh, you should be an actor. Like, it's going to be great. Like, it's grueling. It's a lot of no's. It's a lot of judgment. Like, you need to have tough skin to go into that industry. And even then, it will break some people. So as someone who's about to bring a child into this world, I think my parents were probably weary of, oh, God, is she going to want to be in the industry? Because it's not necessarily a stable job most of the time. And it can be really tough. Yeah. And I know we talked on your podcast a lot about like the annoyances of social media and the negatives of social media, but a lot of times being in Hollywood is super glamorized. It's like so cool. It's so fun. What are some of the downsides of that, of being in that traditional media world and that entertainment industry? Like what are some of the things people don't see online? Well, I think back when I was younger and my parents in the 80s were working in the industry, it was more about the consistency, like, you know, needing to provide for a family and being like, where's the next paycheck coming from? Because if you're a working actor, it's great, but you're not working all of the time. And it's like, what are you doing in those in-between moments? Was that last paycheck enough to sustain you till the next job comes? And that's still obviously like happening in the industry today. But that's like one of the biggest downfalls, you know, like people will see like, people on red carpets and it's all glamorous and amazing. But the amount of work and blood, sweat and tears it took to get to that moment and the fact that there might not be anything lined up in the foreseeable future after that moment, it can be really scary to have to live in that in between. And then I think in today's culture, it's more about what we were kind of talking about on my show, like that cancel culture is so insane right now that like anybody in the public eye steps out of line. It's like you suddenly don't have a career anymore that you've worked so hard on. And sometimes it's warranted for people that do really fucked up shit that has come to light. And sometimes it's not warranted at all. And it's for people having an opinion or making a mistake. And it's really sad to see opportunities that they might have worked so hard for leave because society decided like they didn't deserve a second chance. Yeah. And you're so open. Like you, you know, have the podcast, you've written books. Has that ever scared you though, because of cancel culture? Because you know, like you can say like one thing that maybe people perceive differently or in the wrong way. Does that scare you with your career though? And like balancing those two? I think I went in when I wrote my first book, Eat, Pray, FML. I went in with a kind of like beautiful naivete about it was just like, I'm putting everything out there. Yeah, of course, there was some fear. My mom, when she read the first rough draft was like, are you sure you don't want to take out one of the men you slept with or like change your name or something, Gabrielle? And I was like, no, it's got to be raw. It's got to be real. And it has to be exactly as it happened. And I stand by that. I think I didn't realize until the book blew up and got really popular. And I started going viral on TikTok. That's when I was like, oh, there's going to be people that perceive things differently, obviously, but in a very negative way that I didn't mean. So for example, and this is like a very small percentage of my readers and, you know, people that follow me on TikTok, there was a really small percentage of people who would leave comments on my video and be like, beware of this book, she's fat phobic. And I was like, what? Like, (laughs) what? what is that? And I like, at first, I had to Google the word because I was like, wait, this can't be what I think it sounds like with the half of the word being phobic, like that can't be accurate. And the more I started digging into these comments and going back and forth with people, it wasn't that like, obviously, like I could care less what people look like, color, size, shape, gender, like 
as long as you're living an authentic life, like you do you. And I think that's amazing. But in the book, I was going through such a massive heartbreak and coming from a background with an eating disorder that I had kind of recovered from at the time. But like, have you ever really fully recovered from it? Especially when you go through traumas, it tends to like flare up. And I was going on this journey through Europe, eating all of this food because my heartbroken self was just like wanting to eat all of the things. And the little voice inside of me was going, oh my God, you're going to get fat. You're not going to look how you like to look. Your mental health is tanking. I grew up in Hollywood in trying to be an actress in an industry that's like, well, if you're not this size, there's a hundred other girls that look exactly like you that are smaller. So next. Mm -hmm. So in the book, the verbiage that I use was saying like, I don't want to get fat and da 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 da, not realizing that from an outside perspective, that could be perceived as me having a phobia around being fat, which wasn't what it was at all. It was me truly coming from, you know, a history of bulimia being like triggered in my own body and like how I felt comfortable and suddenly like very out of control. So I did end up going back. This is the beauty of self-publishing to change some of the verbiage, not to change what I was writing because what I was writing was really authentic. But to say like, I felt so uncomfortable in my own skin. And I was getting nervous about, you know, this or that and just taking the trigger words out of that because I would obviously like never want people to perceive it in that way. But yeah, that's a perfect example of you saying something that's coming from a really vulnerable and authentic place and it being taken totally the opposite way of what you meant. Yeah. And I think also what's important with that is that it came from a good place. Like you were not intentionally trying to offend anyone or trying to, you know, trigger anyone or anything like that. But you also recognize that it did for some people. And so you're like, okay, this isn't necessary in here. Like I'm going to go back and I'm going to change it. I don't think people need to do that all the time. Like I think people can stay, you know, with what they said and be like, this isn't what I meant. This was not my intention. I'm still going to keep it. But I think it's also important to know that, hey, we can also admit when we want to go back and change our minds or change things. And we shouldn't be, you know, held accountable for everything we've done in the past if things have changed and we like own up to it in the future. And I think at the end of the day, you're not going to please everybody. Like I remember talking to my community that has become, you know, all of my followers about it and people of all shapes and sizes were like, no, I'm a plus size girl. And I never took what you said as being insensitive or in that way. So I don't think you're ever going to be able to please everybody. But if it was such a simple fix to reword a couple things to like trigger less people, then I was happy to do that. I want to know about, you're so open about this, about like your relationship and your heartbreak. When did that happen? And when did you feel comfortable to share and to talk about it? So I was married for almost two years. And this was when I was 20. I think I was almost 26 when we got married. And I found out that he was having an affair with a 19 year old for six months with a myriad of a lot of other extramarital affairs that were going on in the marriage. And I filed for divorce and left. Shortly after that, I met a guy who was a pretty well-known Hollywood actor and we fell like madly in love with each other and just had this whirlwind romance that was like, meet my family. I'm having babies with this person. Like done. This is it. And he invited me on a month long trip to Italy with him. 
48 hours before we were getting on that plane, he told me he needed to go by himself and broke up with me. And I was like, so beyond devastated. He broke my heart like my ex-husband never could have done. And I was sitting on my bed at my mom's house because that's where you move when you're 28 and you get divorced. (laughs) And just with a pool of tears and a bottle of wine, and was like, all right, well, I can either stay home and be heartbroken or I can go travel Europe for a month by myself. So I took a backpack and I did six countries over the span of the month. And I wrote Eat, Pray, FML on the trip, like in my journal. And I think I decided... Well, I know I decided at the airport, I thought I was going to like post one picture to kind of tell everybody what was going on, publicly announce my divorce. And at the time I had like 10,000 followers. So like, who the fuck was I announcing it to? But like whoever (laughs) wanted to listen, I was just sick of having to tell the story to people that were asking what was going on. So I announced what was going on, talked about the cheating, talked about the heartbreak after, and that now I was going on this solo trip alone. Planned on posting that photo and just like going dark being like, I'm going to delete social apps off of my phone and just like go on this trip. The two hours before I got on the plane, I had hundreds and hundreds of comments and messages and people being like, this was so inspiring. This gave me hope. Please keep sharing your journey. Like this is incredible. We're with you. And I made the decision in the airport that I was going to share the whole trip on social media, but in a very authentic way. And I've held true to this rule for myself since that day. And that was like, if you're having a shit day, and you're going to go on social media, you better say you're having a shit day. Mm -hmm. Enough with the highlight reels, enough with people saying, you know, everything's fucking peachy all the time. And like, look at all these great curated photos. There were many times on that trip where I would post and be like, I am not fucking okay. Like I have not left my room and I've been crying for five hours. And like, this is where I'm at. And there's some posts on that trip that like I'm out partying, having the time of my life. And I really think that that was such a gift, not only to me to learn how to like show up in my authentic way to my followers, but also such a great happenstance that all of those photos now are still on my page. So people, whenever they're reading the book, they'll go back and kind of follow along with like this picture book of the trip that they're reading about. So it ended up being a a (laughs) win-win. Oh, I love that. And Did you know when you decided like, okay, I'm going on this trip and I'm gonna, you know, share on social media in your head, were you also thinking I'm going to write this into a book? Like I know you were journaling, but when did you realize that this was going to be a book? Uh, I knew it when I got broken up with, I was like, my life has become a weird, fucked up horror (laughs) sitcom (laughs) and whatever was going to happen on this trip was going to be really powerful for me. And I knew that. And I went and bought a leather bound journal the day before I left on my trip, took it with me and started writing the first day I was in London. And if you open that journal, it's like chapter one. And it's very, very close to how the published book ended up being. Wow. I feel like writing a book is so scary about one, I feel like you have all of these like empty pages that you know you need to fill, you know, like whatever. It has to be like hundreds of pages or a 100, 200 page book. And then also when you're writing about something so personal to you, like you're writing about your divorce, your heartbreak, you're now alone on this trip. Was that ever something where you were scared, like who's going to read this? Or like, were you scared of, oh, your ex is going to see this? Or, you know, what are people going to think? What is his family going to think? Like people in your real life or Mm -hmm. people aren't going to understand? Like, was that ever a fear or you just knew that it would help people and you didn't care? Oh my God, there's so much to unpack there. So 
firstly, I think you and I were kind of talking a little bit about this when we did the episode of my show. The fear is the bullshit. So it's like, I feel like it's so daunting to write a book, maybe, but just sit down and start writing. You don't have to like have a number of pages that you have to hit. Just sit down and let it flow out of you. Like I get DMs all the time about like, I have a story. How do I write a book? And it's like, you sit down and you write. Nobody gives a shit until you have something written to read. So that's step one. So I didn't really go through any of that. I would love to be like, I had no idea that this book was going to be what it was. And I knew I I heard it when I was like, I'm going to write a book. I knew that it was eventually then, you know, going to go to the screen in some medium. Like I know where we're at on the journey and I know how much more there is to go. Like I saw the whole trajectory very clearly in that moment, how we were going to get there, I didn't know, but I knew I needed to write the book for that to start. So I didn't have fear around doing it. Of course, when you're putting something out that's so deeply personal and vulnerable, like there's going to be a little bit of fear about judgment. And I think that's human. But if we let the fear of judgment stop us from doing everything that we fear in life, like we would never do anything great. Mm -hmm. So I forced myself to push through that. As far as the exes reading the book, (laughs) both of them have, can confirm. It's different because my ex-husband, it's, that's a whole separate podcast, but he turned into quite a drastically different person. And the trajectory that he has taken after our divorce has been shocking and I don't think anyone ever saw it coming. I think we did an episode like early on FML talk. I think it's episode three or four or maybe both of them actually where we talk about kind of like how he resurged into my life after reading the book and kind of like attacked in different ways. The only fear I had around him going into the process was, is he going to sue me? And obviously Mm -hmm. did my due diligence on getting insurance on the book, like speaking to attorneys. There's so many laws that protect writers. So I I was thankfully never taken to court. Although what ended up happening, I look back and I'm like, would that have been better? Like maybe we should have gone that route. And then Javier, who is the man that broke up with me before Europe, he actually knew the whole time I was writing the book that I was writing it. He signed off permission for me to include text messages between the two of us in the first book. So any time that you see text messages in Eat, Pray, FML, that person had to sign a release for me. So him, his mother, his sister, they were all very supportive of the first book. Not so much of the sequel. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's, I think the first one, it was a real blessing that I had everybody's support and blessing in that sense, because it morally allowed me to know that I was putting personal information out there for a reason. And I knew that it was going to help everybody, even though I also owed it to myself to put that out there authentically, even if people weren't happy about it. But yeah, it was really interesting. Like on the trip when I would meet people that would start hanging out with me, I was like, I'm writing a book, guys. If you're hanging out with me, you're going to be in it. Like be forewarned. And all of these people that I met on the Europe trip are like in the tech industry or like, you know, travel for leisure. Like none of these people are used to being in the public eye. So it was interesting to have to go back and be like, guys, this is actually going to be a thing. It's not just going to be a book that sells a few hundred copies. Like, make sure you're aware of what this is. And like, do you want me to take any photos of you off of my social media? And, you know, being respectful of that for sure. 
Yeah, I feel like that's something that people don't know what they're getting into. It's kind of like when, <laughs> um, yeah, it, I always think of like when Taylor Swift writes songs about her exes and stuff. It's like, yep. well, you got to know that that's what's coming. You got, <laughs> you know, it's like dating an artist. If you want to be written about, well, behave well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What was your second book about? So the second one came. It's a direct sequel to Eat Pray Fml. It's called The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. And after I released Eat, Pray, FML, all of my readers started messaging me being like, okay, great. This is amazing. What the fuck happened after Europe? You can't just not tell us how everything ended. But I was still living that portion of my life. So Eat, Pray, FML from the time that I found out about the affair to me coming home from Europe, which is where that book ends, is three and a half months of my life. Like it was wildly compact with like all the shit that went down. The Ridiculous Misadventures is two years of my life, like the two years after I came home from Europe. And it was a lot harder for me to write that book because I was still with some of the people, like, you know, the relationships that I was writing about. I needed to like preserve and keep intact, but still write what happened and write in an authentic way. So I think that was a lot more challenging for me. And there's also things in that book that I'm not necessarily proud of. I don't really think that there's anything mm -hmm. in Eat Pray FML that I'm like, not proud of, you know, like, yes, I had a one night stand, but like, who the fuck hasn't as long as I was like learning shit from it. It's fine. But the second one, there's things that I'm like, ooh, that hurts to read back. Like I've only gone back and read it twice. Once was to proof the edit and once was to record the audiobook. That being said, it's such a powerful book because of that. Like I know mm -hmm. that my readers get so much out of that second book because of how deep I allowed myself to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why people follow you and that's why they like you. And that's why they have that connection to you. It's because you are so vulnerable and honest and you're dealing with stuff that is really scary. Like I think that sometimes people when they're like super authentic and themselves online, it's sometimes a little like surface level. Like it's like, Oh, I'm so authentic because I'm coming on the camera without makeup on, you know, and it's like, okay, right. like, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make nice. you authentic. <laughs> yeah. But like, you're dealing with real stuff. Like you dealt with a husband that was cheating that had an affair, then going through a divorce, going through another breakup, like, that stuff is really hard to deal with privately, let alone publicly. What are some of the things that just dealing with heartbreak, like what's some of the advice that you give to people dealing with that heartbreak or how did you cope with that? Like, do you think everyone needs to, you know, go off to Europe and do this like solo adventure? Like, what would you say to someone who's going through something similar? I mean, look, I'm not going to not recommend that you hop on a plane and go do an epic solo <laughs> trip if you can highly recommend. But solo travel in general, it doesn't have to be getting on a plane and going like on some crazy adventure, which by the way, like is a, probably a lot cheaper than one might think. Like I did my month in Europe with, you know, like everything that I did was probably $5,000 and I was staying at hostels and like traveling around to like six different countries. Like it doesn't have to be crazy. And my Southeast Asia trip that I did in the second book was 2500 so like you can go to crazy places and not have it break your bank. That being said, 
You also don't have to get on a plane. Like take yourself to dinner, take yourself on a camping trip for the weekend, take yourself on a hike, like go be by yourself. Like so often we are not alone in this world. Even if we're not with a person, we're on Netflix and scrolling TikTok and, you know, on social media. And it doesn't give us time to even get to know who we've become and really get to know ourselves. And how are you going to heal if you don't know yourself? There's a technique I call the self-love cocktail that I talk about in Eat, Pray, FML. And I knew that I was like on this like crazy journey of self-love, but I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? Everybody's always like, you got to love yourself first. Loving yourself (laughs) is the most important thing. And I'm like, cool, guys. Can anyone fucking tell me how to do that? Because I need instructions. (laughs) Every time I would look in the mirror and be like, I love you, Gabrielle. I felt freaking cuckoo. Yeah. I'm just like, there's (laughs) got to be something more to this if everybody's telling me this is what I need. So I was like consistently searching for this mythical self-love on my trip and I eventually found it when I came home from Europe, which is why it's written about in the epilogue of Eat, Pray, FML. But when I came back, I fell into this like really deep depression because all the craziness that had been going on and the Europe and the new friends and the travel and the people and heartbreak and the healing all just came to a screeching halt. And it was like I stepped off the carousel and was back home at my mom's house divorced. And it was like, whoa, back to reality. And to pull myself out of that depression. I was like, I don't even know what makes me happy anymore. But like the things that used to make me happy, I'm going to make a list of those things and put them on my mirror. And I have to do at least one of these a day. And then I can get back in bed and like binge watch my TV show with my snacks. And then after a week or two, it was like, okay, I have to do two of these things a day. And then I can get back in bed and do whatever I want. And then after a while, it was like, I didn't want to get back in bed. And I was like, maybe I'll just do three of these things or four of these things. And before you knew it, I felt so much better. And I pulled myself out of that depression because I was loving myself. And when people realize that loving yourself is simply doing things that make your soul happy, that make Mm -hmm. you experience love, it's a total game changer. So write down a list of things that make your soul happy and that don't need any other people. For me, mine was like creating, dancing, going to the gym, eating healthy, meditating, writing. And I put that list on my mirror and I did one of those things every single day. And sometimes it would be multiple things. And that's setting aside time for you to give yourself love. When we think about wanting to show love to a significant other or a family member or any relationship dynamic that you're in, we show up and we do things that make that person experience love. So when we're talking about self-love, why would you not do that for yourself? Yeah. Similarly, when I broke up, I broke up with my boyfriend like eight months ago and we were together for four years. So it was definitely like a long relationship. And I remember I was so sad. I was like crying all day, like just so, so sad. But I made myself write a list on my phone of everything that I was excited to do. Like everything that I was like looking forward to. Not that he made me not do these things. But when you're in a relationship, you kind of like lose parts of yourself or you just don't necessarily have time to do things just for you because you're in a partnership, you know, you're doing Mm -hmm. things for the other person. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we lose touch with ourselves in relationships. And I was someone who I was never single. Like I was always like relationship to relationship to relationship. (laughs) And yeah, and this is my first time being alone. 
And so I was like, okay, let me like write down the things I'm excited for. And now I'll look back at that list and I'm like, I've done like almost all of these things and that makes me so happy. And now eight months later, like I'm genuinely like happy being alone. Like I enjoy yeah. time with myself. Like I can't wait sometimes to come back in my apartment and just like be by myself. I'm like, Same. ooh, I like it. <laughs> it's like yeah. my happy time. And I'll go out to eat by myself. I'll go and cook meals by myself. Like there's so much I do now that's solo. Like I, yeah. I live in Miami, so I'm like always going to the beach by myself. And like, I don't even think twice about it anymore. Yeah. And I think that that's something that like really helped during this singleness and like during the breakup was just like getting excited about getting to know myself and like doing things alone again. Yeah, 100%. And for people that are listening that are freaking out internally, like, what do you mean go by myself and like eat a meal or go to the movies or go to the beach? Like what it takes getting used to. It's not something that should feel just totally fine and natural right away. But like, you know, ease into it. So like when I was on my Europe trip, I would go to dinner and I would like, you know, order whatever I wanted and I would take my journal with me. So I would be writing or I would take a book with me. So I would be reading. So I had like a little activity that was still being with myself, not necessarily being on my phone that made me feel a little less awkward at first about being alone. And then eventually you like turn this corner and you're like, oh, wait, I'm a badass. (laughs) I'm on my own schedule and I get to like be with myself and like, go and people watch and it becomes this like exciting invigorating thing it just takes a little getting used to yeah and I mean I've never done a full solo trip I've gone on like little weekend trips by myself before like I went to California by myself I've gone to New York by myself but I've never done like a month-long multiple month-long excursion how do you meet people I think that's what scares me is like I'm like I'm good for a weekend I'm good Mm -hmm. for a week but when you're going on like three month trips, like how did you get out there and like actually like meet people? So hostels is the best way staying in hostels. Like and look, when I was on the plane over there, the only thing I knew about hostels was that there is a horror movie about them and people get brutally fucking murdered. So I was like, what do you think <laughs> about to go stay in hostels? They're like adult summer camps. They're so much fun. You can jump in headfirst and get like a joint room where you're staying in like a co-ed room and there's a bunch of bunk beds. You can stay in an all-female dorm or an all-male dorm with like a bunch of bunk beds with like six to 12 people, or you can book a private room at a hostel. So you're still getting like the common areas and like the excursions that they offer, but having like the privacy of your own room. You will meet so many people. Like the second you walk into a hostel, everyone's like, hey, who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? You want to come out to like this thing that we're going to? And it instantly gives you a group of people. If you don't want to do that, and you'd rather be at like an Airbnb vibe, find tours that you know, you can go on and meet people that way. There's so many ways that you can meet people while you're traveling, and really just staying open. Like it's amazing, like the people you'll meet just like on the street or at a park or in line for something when you don't have that guard up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that inspires me because I've always wanted to do a trip by myself. Like I've always, it will change your life. Do it, I promise. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna read your book and then I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna. <laughs> yes, perfect, perfect. Like channel of events. <laughs> yeah, I just I've always wanted to go to Europe by myself. I'm just scared that like because here like I don't for some reason I feel like the second it's abroad it's scary. Like I've gone like I said to California alone. I've gone to New York alone. Totally fine. 
uh, normal, whatever. I moved to Miami and I didn't have any friends at all. Like didn't know anyone besides like my one cousin that lives here, like was totally alone for months. And that doesn't scare me. But the second it's like, oh, Europe, I'm like, oh, no, I can't do it. Right, right. No, and I totally, I totally get it. Like when I did my second solo trip, I went to Vietnam, Thailand and Bali. And when I was waiting to board, I had this total panic moment of like, what the are you doing? Are you insane? You're about to get on a plane, fly 14 plus hours to go across the world to be somewhere where it's like a language you don't know. Like, who are you? Who do you think you are? The second you're on the plane and the wheels are up, all of that falls away. And you're like, oh, this is going to be epic. Yeah. You know, people are always like, ooh, female solo travel safety. I've never felt unsafe in any of my travels, except one time in Paris. And I put myself in that situation. So like, you just have to be smart. Like you can have horrible shit happen to you walking down your street in the place where you live. It happens every day. The US right now is probably more dangerous than most of the other countries that you're wanting to travel to. You just have to be smart. Like don't go out at night and walk around alone and get drunk. You know, like be aware. Southeast Asia, I highly recommend if anyone's like wanting to do an abroad trip and like go somewhere to feel safe. Thailand for me was so magical and so chill. Everybody's like in their Thai pants, their backpacks. And it's just like very, it's one of the top rated places for solo female travelers is Southeast Asia. Like I've never, I never felt unsafe there. Everyone was so kind. It really is a life-changing experience. All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm go holding you somewhere. To, I'm holding you to it. <laughs> I'll start with like a two week trip, you know, and yes. then uh, and then I'll I'll go from there. But I do want to do that. You'll, I feel be, like- you'll be on that two week trip and then you'll be like, How much does it cost to change my flight and stay? I promise yeah, you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> my I the only thing is my parents will be like freaking out. Like were your parents I mean, how are your parents with like totally. my or how's mom, your mom with like going? My, my mom low key was like, please don't go, please don't go. But she also knew that like I had to go. When I went to Southeast Asia, she made me take this like GPS tracker with me in my backpack. And I'm like, Mom, you realize that you have to be like connected to a satellite for this to work. <laughs> like, if someone steals me and takes me like I can't be like, sorry, let me just turn my tracker on. So so the police and my mother can come find me in Asia. <laughs> um, but like it made her feel better. So whatever, you know, you like communicate daily on WhatsApp, you send them pictures. It is what it is. I think she also did some research. I would send her like articles on like how safe it is to solo female travel in the destination I was going to. So that made her feel better. But it really, you know, they eventually get on board. They want you to go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'll just book my ticket and be like, sorry, mom. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, if you're going to go and if anyone's going to go, the biggest advice I can give you is don't over plan, which is so hard for me because I'm so type A. And I wouldn't have learned this lesson if I didn't go on my first solo trip with 48 hours notice, but I had nothing planned. So I literally flew to London because that's where like our ticket was to before we were supposed to connect to Rome and stayed in London and was like, all right, where am I going next? And would book my ticket to the next destination. So I literally was flying by the seat of my pants because you can book last minute at hostels and stuff. It's really easy to bounce around. Once you're like in a location, it's pretty easy to grab a hopper flight or a train and travel like within, you know, the country that you're in, or from country to country. And it really allows you to be open to meeting people that will like sway you in different directions. So for example, when I was in 
Amsterdam, I met this guy on my travels and we became really good friends. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to Mykonos in a couple of weeks. If you want to come, like, let me know. And obviously I did some research and stalked him on social media and like realized he wasn't a serial killer. And I went and met him in Mykonos and like a bunch of us from Amsterdam ended up meeting there and like went out for a couple of days and it was like so fun. And I wouldn't have had that experience if I would have been like, oh, sorry, I already have this leg of my trip booked. When I went to Southeast Asia, I was only supposed to be in Vietnam and Bali. And when I was in Vietnam, I was like, you know, my heart just isn't settling the right way. I think I'm going to go to Thailand. And I ended up going to Thailand for a week and a half in the middle of the trip. And it was the best week and a half that I had there. And it was so life changing. I can't imagine not having gone. Yeah, I love the spontaneity. I think that's so important too. And you kind of lose that when you are more settled in a routine or you're in a relationship, like you lose that. And so it's nice to be able to just like pick up and go and do whatever you want and not have to like talk to anyone about it. It is. It's freeing. And I think that's one of the gifts that solo travel like forces you to learn. Yeah. And I'm curious, did your boyfriend at the time that had that trip, you guys had those trips booked. Did he go on the trip by himself? Like, did you guys run into each other? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we flew on the plane together. I stopped. Okay. And he went on to Rome. Yeah, we sat next to each other that whole plane ride. But I think when people read Eat, Pray, FML, they'll see like the relationship dynamic that we had and how that all played out. I won't tell people if we ended up seeing each other or not on the trip. They'll have to read to find that out. But yeah, you know, it was a long, twisted relationship to try and untangle myself out of. And, you know, I think that's why people became so invested with like what happened after Europe because they were like, okay, but like, did Javier stay in your life? Did he leave? Like what what went down? So I think that's why the sequel really kind of like wrapped it up and gave everybody a good ending point that they can then feel satisfied with. And then they come binge the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I can't wait to read it. And I mean, I'm very excited to take my solo trip eventually. Yes. (laughs) I can't wait to see those photos that you're sharing on that trip. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'll read a book also. (laughs) Yes. Do it. Highly recommend. Well, thank you so much, Gabrielle, for coming on my podcast. This was incredible. I loved hearing about your story. And I know my audience definitely will too. But where can they find you? Thank you. Um, I'm on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone and TikTok at Gabrielle underscore Stone. And you can find the books exclusively on Amazon. The first one is Eat, Pray, FML. The sequel is The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. You can also get them signed by me on my website, which is eatprayfml.com. We just released the Spanish version of Eat, Pray, FML, which is really exciting. Awesome. That's exciting. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, girl. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Roomf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. <laughs>